We hope you enjoy this message from St. Martin C3, a location of C3 Church, Christchurch. This morning, what I would really like to talk about is how, what it looks like to be a passionate follower of Jesus. And you might not even be a, a Christian here this morning. And this might be something that is uh, foreign to you or new to you. But let me tell you this. Those who follow after Jesus want to do it with passion. They want it to be the main thing in their life. And so that's what we want to have a uh, look at this morning. And I was wondering, if you were to do a passion audit or an inventory, what would come up as the things that you're most passionate about? One of them might be chocolate. Apparently, strength is defined as the ability to break a piece of chocolate, your favorite block of chocolate, into four pieces and only eat one. Maybe that's what you're passionate about. Or it could be your favorite possession. This is a picture, actually, of my brother who owns 14 barbecues. They are his favorite possession. But it might be your, I mean, insert anything here, your boat, your car, your home. Maybe that thing is the thing that you're passionate about. I knew a guy whose, whose greatest passion was his lawn. And he would spend it all day, every day, almost with scissors out on his lawn, cutting it so that it looked perfect. And that was what he was passionate about. Or sport. Did you see the game? Did anyone see the game? Which game? Who knows? Who cares? But where some people are really passionate about sport. And if you talk to them about this, like you have an ordinary conversation, but then you mention the game and all of a sudden the uh, passion goes up a level. Or, or maybe uh, you're passion about, passionate about romance, having a, a relationship that is filled with passion. Or it could be that your passion is God. See, a, a little girl was in a church hall and she was seen uh, crying after a service when she was looking at a sign that said, the zeal of thy house consumes me. An elder asked her why she was crying. She said, I'm afraid of the zeal. He tried to console her truthfully and said, don't worry, little girl, there's been no zeal in this place for years. <laughs> See, passion is important. The great speeches are laced with it. The great sportsmen and women are full of it. Job interviews are successful because of it. Ideas become reality because of passion. And it is the, the fire of our relationships, and I say fire very loosely this morning. I know there was one up on the hill, and I believe no one was hurt, so let's just talk about that as a metaphor. But it is important in our relationships, and our relationship with God, and our work for God needs it too. Today we want to talk about being passionate for God, living out our zealousness for Him. But the problem I need to address before we talk about that is what do we mean when we say being passionate for God? Sometimes passion is not seen as a good thing. Often the passionate ones are the fundamentalists who believe they are completely right in their views and try and force others to believe their views too. They take sides, and if you are not wholly for them, you're wholly against them. And I don't think that's passion, I think that's militant. That's not the kind of zeal we're talking about. Instead, we're talking about being passionate for our relationship for God. To be passionate is to be hot for something, to be enthusiastic or have a desire. 
but it's more than just sporadic bursts of extroverted energy. It's an ardent heart condition that stirs one into action constantly. That's the kind of passion we are to have in our relationship with God. Yet it's not what we always see. I remember talking to a parent of some young people uh, one time, and we used to go on these camps and retreats throughout the year. And the parent said to me, gosh, I feel like if I can just keep my young person interested in God enough from camp to camp, that'll kind of get them hyped up, and then they'll drop off a little bit. And then they go to another camp, and it gets them hyped up, and it'll drop off a little bit. And if I can just do that, then wow, I've succeeded. And I thought, oh, I feel like we're missing something. We should have a passion that is not just about those hype moments, but is about every moment. And as I read scripture, I see people who didn't need conferences. They carried the passion inside of them. And I want my commitment, my devotion, my passion for God to be like theirs. I want us to look at an example this morning from Acts chapter 20. It's the example of the Apostle Paul. And the, the Apostle Paul was radically saved and devoted his life to seeing others come to know Jesus. And in Acts 20, Paul goes close to a, a city called Ephesus and he's heading to Jerusalem where he knows big trouble awaits him. And he asks the people of Ephesus, the elders of the church, to come out and meet with him because he knows this may be the last time that he ever gets to speak with them. And as he speaks with them, he explains his ministry to them. And we see a picture of someone who devoted everything to passionately following the Jesus who saved him. So let's read Acts chapter 20. We're going to read a few sections of this, starting in verse 18. When the elders arrived, when they arrived, he declared, You know... That from the day I set foot on the province of Asia until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I've endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I have had one, I have had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and of having faith in our Lord Jesus. Verse 22, And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Verse 32, And now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he set apart for himself. Verse 36, when he had finished speaking, he knelt and prayed with them. They all cried as they embraced and they kissed him goodbye. That is a life of passion. Verse 24, my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace 
of God. Church, can I encourage you today that that is the passion for God that we all need. We are passionate followers when our whole life, our whole existence is devoted to seeing the grace of God flowing in our lives and in the lives of those around us. You know, I have to be honest, we don't always experience that, do we? I became a Christian when I was seven years old, which means I've been following Christ now for about 15 years. Uh, Okay, it's uh, 35 years, all right. There have been times when I have been really fired up for him and his purposes. But then there have been times when I would say my walk for God has been nothing more than going through the motions and mundane. You ever been in that place? Yeah, I just kind of feel like maybe you're there this morning. Maybe you're sort of looking at this faith thing and it's nothing more than nominal for you at the moment. Oh, yeah, it's just something that I do. Or you just don't feel it like you once did. And we wonder, why is that? What's going on in those moments? What is it that causes the passion for God to extinguish from people's lives? Well, I've got something which I call the three C's, and these are some passion extinguishers. See if maybe this may have contributed to you. The first one is comfort. We live in a pretty comfortable society, don't we? We have social services to help us if we don't have enough or if we need extra help. Uh, or if we don't need them, we have a pretty settled existence. Healthcare is good. Housing is good. We have all the modern things that make life what it is. Smartphones, TVs, the internet, home appliances. Compared to other times in history, we have amazing comfort. We even demand it, right? If my life is uncomfortable, then maybe someone hasn't given me what I most need. But what can happen when we embrace comfort and slip into the routine of life? We can become slowly apathetic. We stop feeding our relationship with God. The fire slowly burns to nothing more than a smoldering ember. And after some time, uh, we realize that we've gone days, or if we don't make it to church, maybe even weeks, without even thinking about God and what he's done for our lives. And we're still pretty comfortable. And I find there is a temptation for me to tone down my time spent with God and doing his work because sometimes, if I'm honest, it just actually gets in the way of my comfort. Trying to spend more time reading the Bible and praying when I could be looking at the next article or the next thing on Facebook or the next YouTube video or or whatever it is, my comfort often takes the place of my passion. However, what we need to realize is that following Jesus is incompatible with a life of comfort. Following Jesus is incompatible with that. So that's one thing that can do that to us. The second one is conformity. Conformity is more than comfort. It's when we start desiring to live life the way others do and we allow other passions to take hold. We start acting like everyone else throughout our lifestyle and our sin. Maybe we try to be one of those cool Christians who believe in God, but we swear and we get drunk just like everybody else. But that conformity eats away at our passion. I remember uh, one night when I was flatting, 
I came into the, the lounge and all the guys in my flat were out, but sitting on the couch was our, our flat cat. So the only people in the house was the flat cat and me, and for some reason, the TV was on. The cat, I didn't turn the TV on, the cat must have turned the TV on. And what was even more strange is that on the screen was a pretty full-on sex scene. So here I walked in and saw that our cat, cats are dodgy, cats, cats really need to be controlled a little bit more. So I did what I should, I, I turned the channel. But then I had this real internal struggle about wanting to turn the channel back again. Or maybe that seems over and it was actually a really good movie. And I felt the pull to actually just to experience all the things that I felt everyone else was getting to experience. I mean, even our cat got to watch this stuff. So why shouldn't I? But here's one lesson for you. If you take nothing else away from today, don't try and be like your cat. Nothing will eat away your passion for God more than joining others in their sin. Christians are called to be different. I read this in a devotion recently, and I thought it was well said. It said, we all have, uh, we have this illusion that epic downfalls happen in an unguarded moment. The extramarital fling, the skimming off the top of the company books, the act of violence. But sin builds over time, encrusting itself layer over layer on our hearts, unbothered by repentance. Conformity to the world around us hardens our heart to God and extinguishes his fire. It's like pouring a whole one kg of salt on a fat fire. It cannot burn without the oxygen it needs. That's comfort and conformity. And then the third one is competence. The last thing that steals our passion is when we think we're good, when we think we've got everything sorted. We've kind of figured out this God thing, this Christianity thing, and we don't need to keep trying. And now that might sound a bit weird. In most areas of life, the better you are at something, the more passionate you get about it. If I could shoot three-pointers like Steph Curry, I'm going to love my basketball, right? But Christianity is unique. Christianity is different. In fact, the most unchristian thing you can think is that you're good at Christianity. Because at the moment, at that moment, your reliance becomes upon yourself, not upon God. And if I'm relying on myself, man, my prayers dry up. I stop crying out to him as the only one who can give me the strength to do his will. I stop growing because I've got it sorted. Yeah, it's all good. So let me ask you this morning, do you think you're a pretty good Christian? What's your measure? Bible reading, prayers, church attendance, good works? We should wake up every day with a keen awareness, not of our goodness, but of our need. Our ongoing need for God that creates a hunger inside of us for more of him. See, Paul was amongst the greatest Christians who ever lived. His whole life was devoted to the grace of God. But he very rarely spoke of his greatness. He gloried in his weakness. He spoke of how he needed to die that Christ might live in him. He always spoke of his complete dependence on Christ. 
He would say things like, uh, my life no longer means anything to me. He would say things like, I have been crucified with Christ. I've died with him. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the problem with our competence is that we fool ourselves into thinking the average is good enough. But following Jesus is and has always been far more than living an average existence just like everyone else around us. It's giving ourselves completely. It's asking God for more and devoting ourselves to complete commitment to him. So we've got comfort, conformity, and competence, and each of these can steal our passion. So what can we do about them? How do we reignite or how do we find, in the first place, a passion for God? And maybe today you are there right now where you say, look, I don't know God or I, don't, I just don't feel like I have a passion for him. You, maybe you still believe, but you've lost that passion. How can you get it back? Well, for that to happen, I think we need to spend some time considering our past, our present, and our future. And today what I want to do, we're going to start by looking at our past and our future. And as we do that, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to take communion in the middle of the message rather than at the end. So if those who are distributing communion, if you could come up now and uh, hang communion out. If you're visiting here, uh, there's, uh, what we do is we take a bread, a piece of bread and a little drink to remember what Jesus has done. If that's not for you today, feel free to let the uh, emblems pass you by. You are welcome to join us in this. Please just hang on to them and I will instruct us when to do that. As we focus on the past, we focus on the cross. And we see all that Jesus did. And we see what it requires of us. See, when many of us became a Christian, thank you very much. When many of us became a Christian, there was something that awakened our soul. And it was the work of Jesus on the cross, right? When we truly knew that the God of the universe had come as a man in Jesus and had died for us, for our wrongdoing, that we might live. There was something that awakened inside of us that said, I need to devote myself to that. As I consider that, I cannot get, but do anything else but give myself to him and devote myself enthusiastically to his purpose. That's why Paul always stayed focused on what Jesus had done on the cross and what it meant. Acts 20, verse 23, he said, I have had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and of having faith in our Lord Jesus. As Paul went, he said, hey, you need to know that there is a repentance that Jesus offered, that following him, believing in him, having faith in him, that's the message. That's what Christianity is about. It's not just about the expression of it that we find in going to church and reading our Bibles and praying, but it is devoting and committing ourselves to Christ. See, the Gospel of John tells the story of Jesus, and it's split into two parts, and they, they've actually labeled these parts different books. The first one they call the Book of the Signs. 
And on those first chapters, it recounts seven miraculous signs that Jesus did. Signs that show that he was more than a man. Signs that show that he was God. And then in the second part of the book, they call it the book of the passion. And the book of the passion is about one thing. Jesus' death and his resurrection. Because when Jesus went to the cross, he did it because he was passionate about what he was going to achieve. He did it because it was the ultimate expression of passion, was to give of himself to a lost and dying world. And it is the doorway to us becoming passionate followers too. So we focus on what Jesus has done. But we don't just stay in the past. If we want to become passionate, I think we need to move to the future too. See, one day, the promise is that Jesus will come again. And when he does, all the dead will rise. And there will be a new heavens and a new earth. And our future hope changes us now. Again, Paul in Acts 20, verse 32, he says, And now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. See, the message Paul left with them was the message of the inheritance that was to come, the hope of the world to come for all those who know and follow Jesus. And for Paul, for him, it was like something that was a vein that ran right through his being, that he knew that one day there would come a day where all that was wrong in the world would be made right again. His focus on that propelled him towards the ministry that he was going to do. So let me ask you, how often do you spend thinking about what life will be like in the age to come? How much do you study it? How much is it something that awakens hope within me and within you as well? you think those who did that would be the most airy-fairy, disconnected people on the planet content just to do the basics of religion because the world to come is so much better and, hey, we can just get by and then hopefully it'll be better then. But I find the opposite is true. Those who spend time in awe and wonder at how God will make things new are the ones who are passionate to see that reality become present now. When God's future victory becomes my current prospect, I live with passion. Hope in the resurrection leads to a passion to be devoted to God now. And I'm convinced that those who follow Jesus are not just believers, but the hopers. Wouldn't that be a great title? I'm a hoper. I'm not a no-hoper. I'm a hoper. Those who anticipate what God will do and seek to live in that reality now. So as we take communion, we remember the passion of Jesus and the hope of the world to come. We have more passion when we think about what Christ has done. We have more passion when we consider what Christ has won. So this morning, we're going to take the bread and the juice together. We take this bread, and it's a reminder of Jesus, who gave his body as a sacrifice to us. Let's take it and remember him this morning. And we take this juice, a reminder 
of his blood that was shed for us. And as we do this, we are remembering the past and we're remembering the future. If you're done doing that, could you just pass your cups to the side of the row and our team uh, will collect those. So that's the past and that's the future. And I'm convinced, thank you very much, I'm convinced that as we focus on those, as we truly go, wow, is is this future worth my life? Has what Christ done worth all of me? And if we stand with Paul and we're convinced that it is, then we start to get passionate about the things of God. Not just what he's done or what he will do, but now we come into the present. For Christianity makes a massive difference to us now. It changes our everyday life. And that is where we find our passion. Paul showed this in his his speech to the Ephesians, but he also then wrote to the people of Rome in the book of Romans. He showed them what it means to be all in for a God who went all in for them. Romans 12, verses 8 to 12, represent this really well. He says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And I think these words guide us to, to show us what passion looks like in the present, in the here and now. And there are two things that it brings up. And the first is our obedience in God. As Paul says in Romans 12, our passionate following of Jesus means to really love people, to hate what is evil, to cling to what is good. It means to to be devoted to others in our family of faith. And these are the things that, that Paul has been talking about all along. This is what obedience to Jesus actually looks like. I'm wondering uh, where our obedience is at sometime. If we've got uh, comfort, conformity, and, and our own self-competence, then sometimes we're not obeying as much as we should. And I'm wondering what would happen if when God asked us to do something, we just did it. We made a decision that we're not going to do what feels comfortable. We're going to assume that following God makes us uncomfortable and just passionately follow him anyway. We're not going to make excuses for our conformity, but we're going to radically live as though this world is not our home. We have a new reality. When, uh, in June, I went to Indonesia to catch up with our Bluebird mission partners uh, with Fraser Scott from our mission team. And, and next week, in the coming weeks in our mission series, you're going to hear a whole lot more about that. Uh, but when we were there, we met a man called the Teacher. They called him, hey, this is the teacher. They told, him that, told us that was his name. And he was a bit like Paul. They told us his story. He had this radical conversion and was discipled by one of the main leaders of Bluebird. And one day the teacher was reading the Bible with this Bluebird leader. And together they read the section where Jesus says, there will be no wives in heaven. And he kind of read it and he, he paused. Because he was stunned. He was from a religion that told him that when he got to heaven, he was going to get many wives. 
he paused and considered not having many wives. And finally, he said, this is very disappointing. (laughs) Then he confessed. He confessed that he often used this against his wife when uh, when she disagreed with him. He would tell her that she was very difficult. And he was really looking forward to heaven because then he would get to spend time with all his other wives and wouldn't have to spend any time with her. And the bluebird leader said, I I kind of played it up a little bit, but he said, I put my, my head in my hands and I just went, oh, no, 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 no. He said, do you realize what you've done? He said, you are, uh, you're in trouble twice. He said, once because what you believed is not true. And the second time, because you're insulting your wife over and over again. And he said, the teacher did this. The teacher thought for about 10 seconds. And then he got out his phone and he put it on speakerphone and he called his wife. And he told her what he just learned from reading scripture. And then he said, I'm sorry. I just want to let you know all the times I've said that I'm looking forward to my other wives, I wasn't loving you, and I'm sorry. And she laughed, and she said, praise the Lord. (laughs) And he completely just changed like that. He confronted something in the word, and he just went, well, then my whole belief structure needs to change, because that's true. The bluebird leader who discipled him then said something I'll never forget. He said, if all Christians could change their lifestyle that quickly, we wouldn't have any problem with discipleship. The question we should ask is, what's the shortest time possible to follow the word of God? The kind of obedience that does that comes from passion, but it also breeds greater passion in God. When we were at this conference, Uh, The teacher was speaking passionately, and we had these little headsets on so we could hear a translator translate what they were saying. And uh, as this was being translated, we realized what he was uh, teaching, but he was also arguing very passionately for, was the rights of women in the home. See, he'd been changed, and his obedience had led to a passion in him to see that same thing change in other people as well. And all the women in the meeting were going, yes! And it was great. It was awesome to see. That obedience is passionate following, and it's what we most need. So we need obedience. And then the second thing we most need, which we see coming through here in Romans 12, is devotion to God. That's why in this passion, Paul talks about making space to serve God and doing it passionately with zeal. It means to be joyful in hope. There's that hope again. Patient in our troubles and faithfully praying. Let go of competence and self-trust and devote yourself to the things of God every day. Uh, My wife was spending time with God the other day and she said something which I think could be helpful for us. She told me and I was like, can I use that? Because that's real good. And she said I could. She talked about how often we treat God like we're a car. And he's the petrol. We do life. And we just go about our day. We get worn down. And then it's only when after a few days or a few weeks that we feel empty that we go to the pump and we go to him and we ask him to fill us up. Instead, what came to her mind is that we need to be more like a house with solar panels. 
See, solar panels spend all day pointing towards the sun and drawing energy from what, for what the house needs. It happens because it stays continually focused on the source of its power. See, we need to stay completely focused on God. Like a house with solar panels, not like a car with petrol. We need to stay completely focused on God. We need to immerse ourselves in Him. If I have a passion for my wife, I spend time with her every day and make it a priority. This builds my love and my passion for her. It's the same with us and God. Max Lucado has this great piece called Don't Get Carried Away. And he noticed that after Jesus was arrested, Peter stood at a distance. Listen to what he says about Peter's journey and what it means for us. He says this, Peter was sharp. He kept his distance from Jesus. I'll stay close enough to see him, Peter reasoned, but not too close or I might get caught. Good thinking, Peter. Don't get too involved. It might hurt. Don't be too loyal. You might get branded. Don't show too much concern. They'll crucify you too. We need more men like you, Peter. Men who keep religion in its place. Men who don't stir the water. Men who reek with mediocrity. That's the kind of man God needs. Yes, sir. One who knows how to keep his distance. Now, I'll pay my dues and I'll come once a week, but, well, you can get carried away, you know. Yes, you can get carried away. Up a hill to a cross and killed. Mark these words. Follow at a distance, and you'll deny the master. Period. You won't die for a man you can't touch. Period. But stay near to him. In his shadow, you'll die with him gladly. We need to be those who immerse ourselves in God. Daily devote ourselves to being close to him. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To learn more about our church, visit c3chch.org.